0: Well, good morning. My name is Brad. I'm the worship pastor here at Fox Valley Church, and we are starting a new series today on the book of Ruth. It's a four-chapter book in the Old Testament. It's a great portrayal of the gospel. Some people think it's the best depiction of the gospel in all the Old Testament, that God shows his love to us, and he's faithful even when we don't deserve it. It's a story that starts out with much brokenness, but God brings beauty to it and reveals his redemptive kindness, and it's a story with an unlikely hero. And we love stories with unlikely heroes because we can relate to these people, we can identify with them. And the main characters in the Book of Ruth are not mighty warriors, they're not uh, prophets, they're not kings, they're people, average people like you and me. And we identify with them as they face difficult trials, which we're going to see this morning, and many of you are going through trials and facing difficult circumstances. Our unlikely hero is Ruth. She's a Gentile woman, a Moabite, and God is going to use her to bring about redemption, not just for Ruth and Naomi and some other characters in our story, but ultimately a redemption plan to save the entire world. Ruth is the only other Gentile woman, along with Rahab, who's included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God uses this Moabite widow, and he has great plans for her life. It's a reminder that all of us, right, God has a plan for each of us, and no matter how small it feels to us, God wants to use our life. He's got this amazing plan. We see God's providence that that God is providing for. He's governing all things to work together for his plans and his purposes, even in trials and difficult circumstances and even in our disobedience. We're going to see God's love toward the brokenhearted, Fox Valley Church, I love that our God is so tender and compassionate to the needy. And God's people are going to experience, we experience his covenant faithfulness. That's, that's God's faithfulness to his promises, that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Kate just shared that with us, right? He's faithful. We know that we know he'll never fail because he's faithful to his promises. And what we're going to see is that God's promises, they're often disguised in in hard situations and trials, but the book of Ruth will reveal that God is a redeemer, and that is a theme throughout the book. The word redeem appears in some form on 23 occasions. Now, we don't know the author. We don't know the author. Some people speculate some different uh, authors, but we do know when it happens, because in verse 1, we'll read in a second, it says, "...in the days of when the judges ruled." So our story takes place in the time period of the judges, right? Before Israel had a king, they had judges. And it was a time period of about 350 years, from 1400 to 1050 BC, give or take. Here's a little timeline I want you to see. that The the book was written later. So you have uh, the time of judges, and Ruth takes place somewhere in the middle there. But then you have the book written hundreds of years later after King David becomes king. And we think this because in chapter 4, we see that King David is in the genealogy, meaning he's already probably taken kingship. But let's talk about Judges really quick. In fact, Genesis through Judges, we get... Similar themes. You, you read your Bible as a whole, and, and you see themes that come throughout. And, and one of the themes that we see is God's faithfulness, right? And then God's people go wayward; they worship false idols, they they leave Him, and God, uh, in His discipline and His loving discipline, He brings them back. They repent, and the cycle just continues and continues. And the time of Judges was really marked by moral uh, disobedience from the Israelites. It was this decline. Sure, there were some bright spots, there were some good things that happened, but overall, there is this decline, this moral decline, Israel's failure and bad leadership of faithlessness to God, and that's where we're at. So cue Book of Ruth. We're in the middle of this time period of Judges, and it's this awesome love story, but it starts out with brokenness. It starts out with brokenness as God sends a trial And in chapter one, we're going to see three different approaches to how we can deal with trials. My main idea this morning is that God's covenant faithfulness is often disguised in difficult circumstances. God's covenant faithfulness is often disguised in difficult circumstances. If you would turn to the book of Ruth, we're going to start at chapter one. Our first value at Fox Valley Church is the preeminence of God's word. And one of the ways we honor uh, this completely true authoritative book is we ask you to stand when we read. So if you're able to stand, would you stand with me? Chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled there, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons... The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons were Milan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Milan and Kilian died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. You can go ahead and be seated. We get all the bad news up front, right? (laughs) There's no sugarcoating it. All the bad news up front. Tragedy strikes, but before we get into how this impacted our our main character right now, which is Naomi, let's look a little bit at what's going on in our story. Verse one tells us that that they were in Bethlehem. Does Bethlehem sound familiar? Who, Who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus, right? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It's it's called the land of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. So there's a famine in the land of bread. This famine most likely represented God's discipline to Israel. And why? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God makes it very, very clear. If you obey me, if you're faithful to me, good things are going to happen for you. And if you're disobedient, if you uh, go to other idols, bad things are going to come. He unpacks disease and suffering or famine. Most of us don't really have a category for famine, do we? Like, we live in such a, a rich place. We, we have money. We don't really fear for our lives, most of us at least. In other parts of the world, even today, this would be a little more understand, uh, understandable. People can relate to it more, but certainly back then they could. We get hung up on inflation And I feel it, right? Things are so expensive. Eggs at Aldi used to be like 25 cents, and they're like 250 now, right? It's crazy. We feel the inflation, but we have grocery stores, and we can go, and and most of us can handle that. But, But back then, the famine would have been really bad and oftentimes resulted in death because of a lack of food, which would turn into illness. So Israel's most likely experiencing this famine because of disobedience. And we already unpacked that the book of Judges is this moral decline of Israel, so it makes sense. Let's unpack some of our characters. Elimelech means my God is king. That's an awesome name, isn't it? Just My God is king, Elimelech. And his wife's name is Naomi, which means pleasant one or, or delight. It's a beautiful name, isn't it? It's a compliment, an adjective I don't think we give to a lot of people. You're so pleasant to be around but I I like to be around pleasant people. I don't know about you. But what's interesting to me, and I found interesting as I was studying this, is when you get to the kids' names, it's like a total deep dive here. (laughs) The kids' names. We have Milan. You see on the screen, Milan means sickness. How would you like your parents to name you sickness? (laughs) Right? That's not one I would want to carry along as a teacher calls out my name in class, right? Sickness. And the second means pining. Pining is a little bit of a... It's just a word that's not used very much in our culture, but funny enough, yesterday I'm reading a fiction book laying outside soaking up the sun, and and the word pining was used. What pining means, it's this idea of sitting under the weight or burden and hoping that something's going to happen that deep down you know is never going to actually come. So, so the best picture of this is imagine like being on a dock, right? You're on, just, just picture this with me. You're on a, you're on a dock and you're waiting for your, your spouse, your loved one to come back from a trip that they were on. Everyone else has come back and years and years are going by and you're pining, waiting for them to return. How would you like to be named that, pining? Man, waiting and hoping, knowing that it'll never come. So how is it that my God is king and pleasant one have kids named sickness And pining, they chose those names. Well, I want to speculate a little bit. I want to speculate that this was a sign that Elimelech and Naomi were not trusting in God. They were probably born during the famine, and they're looking at their external circumstances, and they're feeling the weight of the sickness. They're feeling the pining, hoping this will end, and it's not ending. But the names don't reflect an attitude of confidence or faith in God. So they leave the promised land, the land of bread, and they go to Moab to avoid the hunger and disease. Here's a map here I want to show you. There's Judah and Bethlehem you see on the left-hand side. And there's a little star, which is Mount Nebo. Do you remember when God's people are 40 years in the wilderness and finally he brings them to the edge of the promised land, right, and he takes Moses up on the top of Mount Nebo and he says, look at all this, see Jericho, see all these different places, you're gonna conquer them and my name is gonna move forward. You're gonna go into Canaan. And so it's this beautiful picture of God's promises and he's like, no, Moses, you don't get to go because remember you hit that rock in disobedience, But, but I have a plan for my people. And here we see Elimelech leading his family back past Mount Nebo and down to Moab. Now, Moab might sound familiar, or the Moabites. You may have heard that before. Moab came from Lot. Remember Lot? He was Abram's nephew. It's it's really a sad story. And what ends up happening is Lot gets drunk, and his daughters seduce him. And they have a couple kids, and one of them's name was Moab, which means of my father. It's a really uh, sad picture of, of the Moabites' incestual beginnings, right? It's a reminder of that. He is of my father. They're known as enemies to Israel, right? They, they push back when, when Israel tried to go through, or the Israelites tried to go through Moab to the promised land. In Deuteronomy 23, 3, we see that the Moabites are forbidden to enter the assembly of the Lord, God says, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. And it goes on to say, don't even make peace with these people. You're not even allowed to make peace as long as you live. Don't seek treaty or friendship is what it says. So let me suggest that, that Elimelech has taken his eyes off of God. He's taking his family away from the promised land and God's people, right? They're leaving God's people and he's going to a land of people that worship other gods. The text doesn't say he was living in disobedience. It doesn't say he was living in sin, but the time period of Israel and and what they're going through, and the famine, and the kids' names, and the fact that they're going to Moab, I think reveals something, because the text also doesn't say he humbled himself. It also doesn't say he reached out to God. Most likely, he had heard a, a report that the famine had not yet reached Moab, and so he takes his family there, He's looking at the external problem, but he's really ignoring the bigger problem, the the heart issue, right? That Israel was disobedient and that God could stop the famine if his people repented, if his people humbled themselves. We don't like to humble ourselves, do we? How often do we just take our eyes off of God? We've done this in some different ways. We've done this in, in, in different ways. Let me give you one example of how we've done this a very uh, divisive issue right now going on in our culture. Many of you know the Roe v. Wade uh, got overturned, that federal law. For 50 years, right, we have killed, we've aborted babies. And I know this is a controversial topic, but at Fox Valley, we don't want to sit in the shadows and shy away from these hard conversations. We want to enter into them. We want to talk about it. And so what we've done is we've taken what God says in Psalm 139, that he has, he's beautifully, he's fearfully made us in the womb, and we've disregarded it. We've trusted in culture, just like the Israelites, let me suggest, just like the Israelites. We've turned our eyes off of God, and we've trusted what human reasoning says and what culture says, and it's devastating, but God hears the, the, the prayers, right? I hope you're encouraged by that. God hears the prayers. God is faithful to his people. And at Fox Valley Church, we don't just want to pray about these things. That's so important, right? The Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, right? The, the, the battles we face, they're not flesh and blood, they're spiritual powers and authorities. We want to pray, we need to pray but we also wanna step into the brokenness. And so we partner with TLC, Pastor Tom, he's on the board there, that many times these women have unplanned pregnancies, and we come alongside them and we help them and we give them tangible needs to say you can do this and spiritual needs are met. We also partner with Replanted, it's a support group for foster and adoptive parents, people in our church who are saying, this is a great picture of the gospel, let me bring you into my home, you're not related to me, but I have a place prepared for you in my house. And and I want to bring you in. And families are doing that. So when these people can't take care of their kids, the church steps in and says, I'll take care of your kids and I'll bring them in to a godly household. We want to be involved. We want to take action, not just sit on the sidelines. So if you're someone who just kind of sits there on your couch and complains, either way, get involved. Find a way to get engaged in justice ministries. It's so important. We have all kinds of opportunities at Fox Valley Church. We've turned from God as individuals, we, we do this, we have, we have problems or, or situations arise and we trust in worldly wisdom and politicians and influencers or celebrities, rather than just pray. We ignore the bigger issue, it's, it's our heart. Oswald Chambers says this, the majority of us begin with the bigger problems outside and forget the one inside. If you can, take your finger, just point to your heart right here. This is, this is our issue now we're given this great promise, though, that God's going to take our heart of flesh and give, or take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. It's a beautiful promise that God makes clear that we know it's not because of anything you've done, but I'm going to do this because I'm faithful. We need to examine our hearts. Can you relate to Elimelech's trial? Right, Elimelech is in this trial where there's no provision for his family. So maybe you have lost a job, and maybe you're in a place where you are not where God wants you. You've landed here and it's like, what do I do? You've taken your eyes off of God. I want to encourage you to repent, to cry out to God because my first point this morning that we learned from Elimelech is when we don't look to God, we will be sick and pining. When we don't look to God, we will be sick and pining. Maybe not physically, although they were, but, but maybe it's spiritually or emotionally. We read that Elimelech dies The famine and death most likely followed them, and he dies. And Milan and Killian, some years later, marry Moabite women. Killian marries Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, right? And Milan marries a woman named Ruth. We just talked about you're not supposed to make peace, not even seek friendship. (laughs) Talk about a marriage covenant, right? This is ill advised. And tragedy strikes again, and sick and pining die. It's really a sad irony, because the thing that they sought to flee from is exactly what they found in Moab. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that God directly punished them because of their disobedience. We know that this is what happened a lot in the Old Testament, and we know that God still disciplines us today. But the text doesn't explicitly say He was punishing them or disciplining them. And oftentimes we bring about all this suffering on ourselves because of our own sin. This happens all the time. But sometimes it's other people's sin and and we feel the weight of it. Or it's just the evil in the world and the enemy and we're left picking up the pieces. So, Naomi, I I don't know how guilty she is in all of this, but she's left picking up the pieces. She's in a devastating situation, A, a childless widow would have been the most vulnerable. She can only survive off the generosity of other people. She would have no financial provision, seemingly no one to redeem her. She doesn't have family, because they died, and she doesn't even have a church. I know they didn't really have churches back then, but think, she's in Moab. She doesn't have God's people. Think about it. If you were to move somewhere into a foreign country that that worshiped other gods, you don't have a Bible, and you don't have any Christians around you, and your family dies, and you're stuck, it's this devastating situation. She's very vulnerable, but God has an incredibly huge heart for the vulnerable. And we're going to get to see how she handles her trial. Let's keep reading uh, with verse 6. We're going to go verse 6 through 10. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. In verse 6, it says the Lord had visited them there. That Hebrew word, it's this really beautiful word. It's more than just showed up. It, It encompasses this idea of attending to, of looking after The Lord had visited. He had been pleased with the people in Judah. Clearly some people stayed back in Bethlehem and probably repented. And so God had brought food and he had visited his people showing compassion. And Naomi hears this. She hears this and she's like, I gotta go back to God and I gotta go back to God's people. It's always a good idea to go back to God. It's always a good idea to go back to God's people. I'm really discouraged by how many people make decisions that don't involve anything about spiritual community. Like, that's 30th on their radar of where they're gonna move and what job they're gonna take. I see it all the time, and young people, really. And I'm just like, no, you shouldn't move there. You shouldn't do that. Every time, let me just say, every time it's been a bad idea. Every single time when I've just sensed the Lord, no, don't move. I know property taxes are cheaper there. Don't do it. Stop going to church. That's what happens. But sorrow and pain have awakened Naomi's need for God, and she's going in the right direction. Have you experienced that in your life? When when things are all hunky-dory, you're just doing your own thing. Or as it says in Judges, you're doing whatever's right in your own eyes. But once the north wind blows, when it hits the fan, when a trial comes, you're like, okay, God, you got my attention. I need to come back to you. This happened with King David. I think this is part of just our, our humanity, almost. It says in Psalm one nineteen sixty seven. 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word, right? King David thought, whoa, it's way better, actually, to just listen to what you say, God. You've got my attention. Could it be, could it be that God is working this kindness to Naomi? Could it be that she just doesn't see it? It's disguised in this trial, But she hears, right? God's visited them and she goes back. It's beautiful. And she gives Ruth and Orpah these appeals, two appeals, go. She's saying it's way smarter for you to go to Moab. You got your family, you got your people, you're more likely to get taken care of. It makes no sense for you to come back to me. It says they weep out of Romans 12 you know rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep that they weep together it shows there's like this connection you know there's like this love that's there that there's been a relationship we can relate to that right saying goodbye to someone you love and Naomi's like no you should go back and and they say they'll stay and so she tells him to go back a second time verses 11 through 13 let's read but Naomi said turn back my daughters why will you go with me Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's saying, even if I met a man tonight, and we just clicked, right, and we just got together, it would be at least 15 years before I could give you a husband. We get to see how Naomi's dealing with her trial, don't we? She is interpreting her hard circumstances as God being against her, God's hostility to her. She's bitter. She's bitter, but God's kindness is often disguised in difficult circumstances. He's starting to show it through Ruth. We're going to see it more in the coming weeks, how kind God is to Naomi. But but he's even hinting at it right now, and she's blinded because she's bitter. So my second point this morning that we see from Naomi's trials. When we are bitter, we miss out on God's kindnesses. When we're bitter, we miss out on God's kindnesses. Now, I can sympathize with Ruth, I, or excuse me, with Naomi. I don't know if you feel it, but like if anyone deserves to be angry or bitter, it's Naomi, right? I mean, she's lost everything. She's lost everything. She has gone. Her life might be gone. It's really heartbreaking. So let me ask, can you relate to Naomi's trial? This is one I think that is like, in my mind, Maybe the hardest, at least it's, it's the most difficult because you've lost someone that you love. And, you know, at Fox Valley, we've had multiple people pass away in the last couple of years, people that are very close, and it's very sad. It's, it's tragic and to, to come alongside them and, and, and love them and, and weep with them. And I just want to give you a little magnifying glass on my life right now. And uh, many of you know that. About three months ago, my wife Emily, her dad passed away. His name was Kevin, and he was 65. He had just retired, and uh, my father-in-law he died unexpectedly. There was no goodbyes. There was no anything like that. And it's it's the phone call, it's the text that you just you never want to get, right? This tragic, tragic news that you can't even believe. And, and I I loved Kevin. He was my father-in-law. He was a figure in my life, but. But he was my wife's dad. And, and it's been so hard just coming alongside with her and grieving with her. And, and just sitting in and realizing I can't do anything but, but just pray and, and listen and, and have a touch. And, and like we have this decision. Are we gonna be bitter? Are, are, are we, as we grieve and we need to grieve, are we gonna be bitter? Let, let me just give a little advice don't ever be so foolish to ask someone if they're done grieving. Grieving is a lifelong process. Don't, don't be foolish like that. I know sometimes we don't even come alongside people because we don't know what to say. But just, just say you, you love them and you're there is something, right? And so we have a decision. Are we going to be bitter? Are we going to ask God, just please, please reveal some sense of kindness to us in this trial, Right? And that's my encouragement for you is just ask God. Ask him to not let you be bitter. But mourn. You should mourn. The scripture is filled with the psalms of just mourning. Read the psalms and don't mourn alone. Don't isolate yourself. Be with God's people. And pray fervently that you would see his kindness, and that he's providentially working for the good of those who love them. Claim that promise, that he wants to redeem your situation. And I, I want to read 1 Peter five ten, and I want to read it slowly because I, I want the weight of these words to sink into you. It says this, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's a promise that God will confirm you. He will establish you. It's a beautiful promise, restoration, and He'll strengthen us. I want to encourage you, come for prayer after the service, right? Let us pray for you. Let us come alongside of you. Let's keep reading verses 14 through 22. We're going to finish the chapter. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Remember, about 10 years have gone by. Maybe aged a lot more than 10 years. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Orpah backs out. She's like, I'm good. And, and, and we don't know if she was just caught up in her emotions and feelings. I'll go with you. But she really wanted the out or maybe she weighed the cost. Oh, that's way too much of a sacrifice to go to Judah. I'm good. So she backs out. Interesting, she becomes Goliath's mom. Remember that big guy? Really tall guy? That's that's, Orpah becomes Goliath's mom. But Ruth clings to Naomi. Ruth becomes the great-grandma of David. It's interesting how that unpacks, right? David and Goliath will meet. Ruth clings to Naomi. It's a beautiful word, clings. Hold fast to is is another way that it's said in Scripture. In Genesis 2, it's a man will leave his mother and father, and he will hold fast to his wife. It's this act of utter commitment. A little convicting, right? That I'm supposed to demonstrate this love to my wife all the time. Cling, It's so beautiful. Reminder that God clings to us. She's saying, I'll go where you go. I'll sleep where you sleep. I'll inherit your people and your God. And I'll even throw a curse on top of it if I ever don't. That's commitment. That's commitment. God's doing this work on Ruth's heart to dedicate her life to the plans and purposes of God, the best life on this side of eternity. We call it fully surrendered. I'm all in. What do you got for me? That's what Ruth's saying. I mean, she would have been grieving too, right? She lost her husband. Yet she's choosing and allowing to God to work through this trial. In surrendering to him, she's using it as an opportunity to experience a deep mercy and grace as God's redemption plan starts to unfold. But Naomi, she's still very discouraged, right? Very discouraged. She changes her name from pleasant to bitter. She renames herself because surely God's against her, right? She doesn't see that her trouble is gonna be God's way of providing love and kindness. Ruth is right there, this beautiful, beautiful woman that we're gonna learn so much from. And she follows Naomi back to Bethlehem on foot just to get back where Naomi started. You see God's providence here, right? I don't think God ever wanted them to leave Bethlehem. And what happens is she goes, like we do, kicking and screaming, just to end up back at the place that God has for us, right? And God's providence, he picks up Ruth on the way jump in the van, jump in the truck, come on, this is what I'm going to do. They're going to experience so much grace, so much goodness of God. And that's the point we have from Ruth and her trial. When we trust in God, we experience new mercy and grace. When we trust in God, we experience new mercy and grace. Can you relate to Ruth's trial? Maybe God's calling you to do something that sounds a little scary, Leave your comfort, leave your home, leave your job or career. He wants you to experience his mercy and his grace in a deep, deep way. But you need the body to come alongside you, too, with these decisions. So come forward for prayer. Again, come forward for prayer. Let us pray for you, let us come around you. The people in your life group, ask them for insight. Why don't we ask people more often, is this wise? Get godly counsel. Or maybe, maybe you have a past like Ruth, and that's how you can relate to her you have this Moabite past, this sinful history in your family, a trajectory that's against God. Maybe it's your own personal sin that you just can't imagine that you've done these things. This story should be so encouraging to you because it shows us that no one is too far gone to be saved and to be used in mighty ways. But it starts with surrendering to God. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, it says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus to pay the price that we should have paid on the cross. Our sin, he became sin, who knew no sin, so that we could become righteous to God. It's a, it's a beautiful picture, and if you just confess that to God, if you haven't done that, you need to do it today. You need to do it now. Confess that you need a Savior, that Jesus died on the cross to pay that penalty, and you'll have everlasting life. The people you've lost, if they've trusted in Christ, you'll be with them again one day. That's hope. Let me ask to close this morning, how are you going to face your trial? Just to kind of sum it up, are you going to trust in human efforts like Elimelech, and experience the consequences of not trusting in God? Are you going to become bitter like Naomi and miss out on God's kindness? Or use as an opportunity like Ruth to experience God's new mercy and his new grace in your life? My prayer is, Fox Valley Church, that you see your trial as a means at which God wants to show you love and kindness. It's like throughout all of Scripture... From God's people, the Israelites early on, to us now. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. Plans to give you hope in the future. You're not going to do anything that's going to remain faithful to me. But I'm going to be faithful to you regardless. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh regardless of your waywardness. That's the God that we worship. God's not against you. He sent his son to die for you. He was against his son so he could be for you. right? Jesus paid that price on the cross. So as God's people... We have hope. Only God, only, only God can take so much brokenness that Naomi's experiencing and turn it into beauty. And we're going to see that as God's redemptive plan continues to unfold in our series. By the grace of God, whatever trial you're facing, by the grace of God, as God's people, we will persevere. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, thank you for the hope that you give us, for the love that you displayed on the cross. Thank you, God, that you're a God who acts. You feel for us, but you act. You acted on the cross, and you gave us a way to be with you forever, a promise of eternal life, God. I pray that we would trust in that. And God, when we face these trials, when we face a heaviness and a burden, would we take heart, knowing that you've overcome the world? Would we trust in you despite our trouble? Would we remember that, that you love us, that, that you carry us, and, and when we're faced with death, would we remember that the grave is not the end? In fact, it's the beginning of a perfect life with you. Would we believe that? Would we trust in that by your grace? Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.